Hey everybody, uh, hello there. Uh, today is Thursday, October 13th, 1 p.m. CET, Central European Time, and we're gonna start off today with today's live slash Twitch slash LinkedIn uh, conversation uh, with another entrepreneur. Um, I just wanted to call out uh, a few things that are upcoming. Uh, actually, specifically, uh, something that's upcoming. So. Uh, SAS Talk is coming up in a few days. That's going to be in Dublin. Um, and so actually, our, I think our guest uh, today, Alex Delive, is going to be there. Uh, I'll be there. A lot of super interesting people uh, who are focused on growth, marketing, uh, SaaS entrepreneurship, and other things will be there. These are always great occasions. They're great occasions to learn. They're great occasions to network. Uh, you can sometimes find prospects if your market's B2B and SaaS, um, but it's just a great opportunity. Um, and um, I think with that, uh, I'll, I won't waste any more time and um, I'll bring in our guest. There's always the... Uh, there's the uh, thing here. The challenge on the technical side, figuring out what's going on. Oh, there we go. Okay. And with that, I'll bring in on our guest and um, Alex. Good to see you. Yeah, you bet. This is a uh, this is kind of interesting. I, I did get a chance uh, to meet with you this summer. I think we we're both uh, booked up for B2B Rocks, our event. Uh, but this is actually a conversation originally I wanted to have it in private, but uh, it's okay to have this out, out in the air. So um, I was just introduced to B2B Rocks uh, over the last 12 months. And of course, amongst the many things you've done, uh, you started this thing some 10 years ago. And uh, about B2B Rocks, uh, Alex here started this, he, he confirmed this in 2013. And, uh, and then that's basically, he's giving the, the backstory on exactly. B2B rocks. Okay. So yeah, I was, I was telling, um, at this time I was, I had a blog and I thought that in the U S 500 startups were, uh, was organizing uh, an event and I, I'm, I'm trying to find the name of the event, but I, I can't recall. Uh, anyway, the, so this event, it was dedicated to B2B and SaaS, and I think it was very interesting. So I wrote this blog post saying we should have this kind of event in France who wants to organize it. And lots of people went back to me uh, saying, uh, for sure, if this kind of event uh, exists, we would attend. And also I got, I've got an email from uh, Roxanne, uh, Roxanne Vaza, um, who now is leading uh, Station F in Paris. But at this time she was leading uh, the Microsoft Accelerator uh, in Paris. Okay. And so she told me, okay, if you want to organize this, this event um, at Microsoft, we can give you a venue because in our um, uh, HQ, well, French HQ, uh, we, we've got a big conference room. Uh, so if you want to organize it, go for it. And so that's how it starts, in fact. And then pretty quickly, uh, so the first one was in French. And for the second one, I decided to switch it in English to position it, position it more, I would say, European. Mm -hmm. And and I invited 
lots of interesting speakers and that's how it it, it uh, starts okay i don't know if you can share this information but do you do you, do you remember uh do you remember what the original budget was how much you spent it was nothing like maybe three or five k three or five k okay so i want i, I can't and I, I, and I think the entrance fee was like 30 30 euro or something like this 30 euro good yeah. uh, well i can't say how much our budget was last year but it was it was a wee bit over three or five k yeah. um <laughs> But uh, that, that's really interesting. And so it went on for 10 years. And, and when did you, you kind of, you didn't, you kind of moved away from B2B Rocks. And yeah. when, did that, when did that happen? I think it happened end of 2016. Mm -hmm. um, basically, what happens is, so I, I did one in 2013, 14. Uh, then in 15, I didn't because I, at this time I was working for A-Founders and it was, too much work to do this on the on the side mm -hmm. um and 2016 i did it in paris but also in sydney uh, and then i realized that it would be like too time consuming to um to to, to keep continuing uh, organizing the event basically I, I i didn't want to to be full-time on on this and 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 you know that but when you are organizing this kind of event you need to be full-time like nearly in, during three to six months yeah. um well I, I i did everything by my own so i was like dealing with the sponsors uh finding uh speakers uh also doing all the i would say uh, uh production stuff uh doing all the marketing to fill the the room so it was lots of work uh well too much for one person yeah. and so uh, that's why I decided to well to to sell it to, to someone else. Yeah, well, you know, I, I I wasn't at those events, so I don't know the the scale of the event. But I mean, just seeing what it took uh, for our team to pull it off last year, and um, I had one colleague who, from stress, she loses weight, and uh, when I get stressed, I take weight, and so at the end, uh, I was blowing up, and she was shrinking, and. Uh, <laughs> So I think it was it was good when we pulled it off when we did and 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 I I remember feeling after we pulled off the event uh, a tremendous sense of pride, not so much in myself but just in the team and and their everything they did to execute that, but also a good part of relief too. You're like, whew, this is good. Things went off and and most people really enjoyed it and uh, and thought it was a unique event. So that was great. Um, you're you're going to SAS talk in a few days, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, what are you going to be talking about? Well, I've got a crazy program, actually. <laughs> uh, so I'm doing a keynote about uh, onboarding mm -hmm. uh, because this is the orientation uh, where we're going with my SaaS Collect. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also, I'm also doing the MC uh, in the morning for the bootstrap stage. And I will be interviewing uh, two great uh, CEO, uh, the CEO of Ojar um which uh, has been acquired by uh content square mm -hmm. um i think one year or two right and then the ceo of um well gather content i will <laughs> i will find the right name uh gather content uh so yeah two two interviews doing the mc on the stage plus my own keynote okay Hold on just a second. My son just came home and he's yelling to see if anybody's home. Apparently, he didn't get my email that I was going to be twitching today. Hold on one okay. second. <laughs> I'm twitching.
that's that's one of the that's one of the uh, charms of working remotely. Um, uh, that's always interesting. Um, by the way, I just want to say I, I really like your uh, where your your live streaming from. You got uh, everything looks well lit there. It makes me think looking at Thank my you. background. I need a little bit more light maybe in my room. So um, well, I'll have to send you an email about what lights you're using after that. Um, so you're going to be there. Are you are you are you going to come in a day earlier? Are you just going for the? Yeah, I will arrive on Monday. Yeah. Uh, actually, well, you mentioned the setup. Um, I'm also uh, running a podcast in French mm -hmm. uh, called SaaS Connection. Mm -hmm. So um, it's well, totally in our topic. So basically, it's a it's it should be a, a weekly podcast mm -hmm. uh, dedicated to SaaS, and that's why I've, I've got all this setup. Uh, and so I will arrive on Monday, and I'm trying to do uh, two interviews. Um, just before before the beginning of the of the conference, yeah. so pretty back program. Okay, well we're gonna we'll see if it works. We're gonna try and uh, live uh, broadcast uh, yeah. our day on Tuesday from uh, from the event and um, uh, and try and engage people and talk to them about uh, what they're finding interesting and 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 what's what their experience of the event and of course what what people are doing and what they're working on. Um, you. I, I saw on your profile that you worked briefly uh, for VCs in marketing, but for the most part, you've gone and founded companies or done your own thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, you've you've um, you've you've started two SaaS companies. Is that right, or am I mistaken? Uh, no, actually, this is the first one. It's the first one. Um, okay. Yeah, it's the first one, but I, I'm I was quite close from SaaS for nearly ten years. Yeah. Uh, so, with B2B Rocks, then uh, right after starting B2B Rocks, uh, I've worked for a year and a half at eFounders, mm -hmm. um, a French startup studio, I would say specialized in in, uh, in SaaS. Uh, so, yeah, uh, very, very close to, to SaaS. And then um, I've done some freelancing with all those SaaS, like Meljet, uh, Stripe also in, in France. Uh, so... Well, what, was, what was your role at eFounders? What were you doing at eFounders? Well, at, at this time, it was pretty small. So it's, it's quite hard. You know, it's, it's like being a founder. Uh, you, <laughs> you need to do lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, oh, well, I would say my, my title was head of operation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was in the core team. Uh, so at eFounders, for, for those... We don't know the the concept of, of a studio. Basically, it's a startup. Uh, it's a startup. Sorry, um, which launch uh, all the startups. Mm -hmm. And so, you've got a core team uh, that would work on several projects, and then you've got dedicated teams uh, for each project. Okay. Uh, and so, I was on the core team. So basically, um, my my I would say day to day job was to identify potential funders, mm -hmm. uh, either uh, business funders or uh, technical funders, uh, talk to them, trying to, well, to, to convince them to, to join the, the, the journey. Um, it was also to recruit our own team mm -hmm. uh, and then to work with the different funders uh, on their own project. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and eFounders in, is in Paris, right? Yeah. Okay. How did it's, that... it's actually in 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 Brussels and Paris. Brussels and Paris. 
Okay. Um, uh, what, what, how do they accept it? How do they know which companies they're going to work with? Is it by dossier? Like, do you, do you file an application and then they choose you, you pitch to them and they decide whether they like your business, your business model and things like that? Well, it, I think it, it changed quite a bit. Uh, actually, I, I worked with them in 2014 and 15, so it was quite a long time ago, especially in startups. Mm -hmm. um, but at this time, uh, we were not looking for, I would say, project. We were looking for people, and we had our own ideas. Uh, of course, the founders could have their own insights and or their own ideas that they would uh, try to push, but... I would say the ideation phase uh, was done internally. Uh, we were not looking for people um, that already started something. Uh, but I know that, so I'm really talking uh, from the experience that I had with them um, well, back in the days. But, and now it changed a little bit because they are ac accepting people that already started uh, a project um, well, it can be also more an acceleration than, um, uh, well, a startup uh, studio. So I would say right now that they try to be flexible depending on the, um, on the opportunity. Are, are you seeing more diversity of founders? Do you think the founder group, because by and large, I mean, one, one of the things I was struck by, I went to um, Saster last year in, in San Francisco or Silicon Valley. And one of the things I struck with is it seemed like about 95% of the founders were white guys who looked like me. And, and uh, unfortunately, they, they or fortunately, they all drove Teslas too. So it seemed like a very homogenous group. Um, yeah. Do you do you think there's getting more diversity in this group, or, or or do you think in the talent in the tech talent pool do you see more diversity? Are 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 you seeing any signs of that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there are some. Yeah, well, I I would say for for now and at least in SaaS, it didn't change so much. Yeah. Maybe there are a little bit more of women. Mm -hmm. Um. But I would say that's it for now. Yeah. Uh, and maybe, but I would say globally in the tech industry, I think it changed a bit, at least in Paris. I think um, what the family back in the days did was very good for diversity mm -hmm. because they were not only looking for people coming from, uh, you know, famous uh, uh, schools. And because if, you, well, if you if you rewind a little bit, um, lots of VCs and lots of also studio, for example, uh, they are looking for people coming uh, out from very prestigious schools. Yeah. And if you are looking at the diversity in these schools, it's not very diverse. Mm. Uh, well, there are women and men, yeah, of course, but for example, from I would say and um, your origins and so on, it's not very diversified. Yeah. So by, I would say, uh, promoting people that uh, are coming from everywhere and not only from very famous school, uh, the family did a great job on, on this. On this, So I think it, it changed quite a bit. Uh, but also, I would say this... Uh, young generation because most of people 
coming from the family that are younger than we are, uh, maybe 25 or something. Um, most most of them, they are creating startups, but not in SaaS. So it, it's, it's why we, we don't have so, so much diversity right now. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm hoping, and I, I, I don't like that verb to hope, but I'm, I'm hoping that similarly to the SaaS industry expanding from the Bay Area and extending its tendrils out to the four corners of the globe, that um, these ideas will break into different social economic groups and we'll see these, um, you know, I, I kind of, what I like about our industry, about technology, about SaaS, about things, is it tends to give people more opportunity earlier it tends to yeah. create opportunity and and i think that's empowering and i think you know uh so, I think, right. uh, so that's kind of what i hope for but um that i'm saying that as a as a you know average white yeah. guy so well, also what, what is interesting with that is and especially in, in those days uh where um while well, raising fund it's is harder than maybe one or two years ago mm-hmm. is um you can have profitable uh, startups without any funding bootstrap mm-hmm. uh, in SaaS. Mm-hmm. So, which is not true for, I would say, other kind of startups. Uh, is if you are trying to launch a, a social media app uh, or a dating app, um, you will very quickly need f- uh, to to raise funds because it's very capital intensive. You need to. Um, well, you, you need to to spend a lot on customer acquisition and, and this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or if you want to launch, I don't know, maybe a fintech, uh, they, there are there is high chance that you will need to also to raise money because uh, it can be capital intensive. Yeah. So, in, but if you're bootstrap, then I would say you can come from anywhere. Uh, while diversity is an opportunity for, for this. And your customers, they, they won't care about who you are and where you're from. Uh, they are just, well, in relationship with the, with the company, so. Yeah, what, what, are, the, what are the benefits? Show me. Um, your, your company right now, uh, Collect, uh, that's a good jumping off point, which is your company, Collect. Are you guys bootstrapped? Where are you at? Yeah, we are bootstrapped. Yeah. Uh, While well, I say we are, but I am bootstrapped, okay. <laughs> and so yeah, right now I'm, I'm a solo founder, uh, of course full time, yeah. uh, and sometimes and for I would say special mission or needs, yeah. um, I'm hiring freelancers. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's still well small at least in in terms of uh, uh, of employees. Okay. Okay. Um, so where did the idea come from for where the company started? Well, um, so maybe for, 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 for those who don't know, I can, I can explain what, what we yeah, do. Yeah, why don't you talk about what you do first and then we'll talk. Yeah. To, okay. So, um, so Collect is a SaaS uh, that I would say, uh, well, sorry, um, where you can create easily uh, a client portal to get documents and data from your client. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I will give you an example. Uh, for example, let's say that you're buying an apartment. Uh, then to borrow money, uh, you will need to gather lots of documents and send them to uh, banks. And so basically what we do, we, we on the platform, the bank can create a list of documents that you need to, to send them. 
and and so they will share with you just a link passwordless where you can go and uh, drag and drop your different documents and then they can uh, accept or reject the different documents and we are facilitating all the back and forth and so on so and and so well it's it just an example but so right now we are i would say mostly working with um uh, prop tech or well um professional in the real estate industry mm-hmm. uh, also with fintech and more globally with b2b startups that need to onboard their customers okay that's interesting yeah i mean i i, I just uh i can think of two use cases for that i just recently bought glasses and you have to provide about five or six different documents to get your glasses. Yeah. Um, and so that seems like a perfect use case for that. Um, and how they did it was fine, but it just, um, I think from a customer experience standpoint, it wasn't top. And I think like, I think as a customer working in B2B, I, I, the, the, the better my experience is, the more confident I am in the company and the more likely I am to use or reuse or continue using their products. If I have a bad experience or it isn't very uh, streamlined experience, I'm like, eh, and it makes me question the whole experience with the company. And then the other one is is right now I'm trying to renew um, my, uh, my 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 French visa, my titre de séjour. Okay. And there's a lot of documents there. And of wow. course, uh, I don't know who makes the the prefecture's website. It looks like a little uh, person that needs help. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I think it's probably running on like a Windows NT server from uh, a long time ago. So, oh, okay. um, so, but I, I'm not sure they have any money, so I don't know. You should go prospect in there. So, yeah, uh, well, I'm not trying to. Well, I know that in this kind of administration, they could need yeah. something like collect, but I would say business-wise, it will be like uh, L to to try to contact them to to start working with them. So I will. Well, I, I prefer to focus on on good customers for me, and which are easier to sign. Yeah, no, you want to call it, the the American expression is low hanging fruit. You want yeah, those definitely. low hanging fruit. So good. So have you? Um, interesting. And um, so what? You know, one of the things we've talked about here in the past, and I think we're going to talk make this a conversation because. Technology, the SaaS culture, this entrepreneurial culture, which is spread around the world. One of the things that's interesting about this is the culture of failure. Um, I don't want to criticize French culture, but French culture doesn't really embrace failure. It's typically it's a culture that people now I'm speaking in big stereotypes, please, yeah. French, but it's not a, it's not a culture that uh, where where really they embraced failure or where it's 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 kind of like oh you failed you suck um and so and i think like you know either in other roles or i mean can you think of could you share a failure um that is there something comfortable where you learned from and you took away sure sure well uh, well i mean we do have lots of failure uh, big failures like business or it can be even I would say project or even losing a lead is a failure. Yeah. Uh, so my, I would say my, my biggest failure so far, uh, maybe it's my first startup. It was called TripXP. Mm-hmm. And basically what we, what we did, it was marketplace uh, for experience. So what you have now with uh, Airbnb experience. 
Um, so basically, you're traveling to maybe let's say London or Dublin. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're going two two day before the conference, and you want to have a, maybe a whiskey uh, a degustation. Uh, tasting, uh, well, yeah. Tasting, yeah. Sorry, uh, a whiskey tasting in Dublin uh, because. That's I, cool. I love that idea. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> and that, works so, for, that works for me. Yeah, and so the the idea was to to offer this kind of experience in the marketplace and l made by local people. So not going to the whiskey museum because you don't want that. You want something authentic and maybe go to um, a very local uh, distillery or well yeah. something very local. And so with we start uh, this kind of business. It was very hard. Uh, well, so it was in 2011. Mm -hmm. um, so at, at this time, it was, you know, the um, uh, collaborative economy boom. Well, the, it was booming. Uh, everyone wanted to have the Airbnb for something. And so, and we were one of the first in Europe to, to offer this kind of, uh, um, well, uh, of experts. And so, and we did all the mistakes that you can that you can do. I funded the company with two friends, very good friends, uh, and but they were uh, they already had a business together, and so they were not full time. I was full time, uh, so this this was the first mistake. The second mistake is none of us had technical skills, so we were relying on an agency to do the product. Mm -hmm. So we were not agile at all. And then we also made very, I would say, basic um, uh, mistakes, uh, especially with the economics, because basically uh, when when you are try trying to, to find the, I would say, how much you can earn with this kind of, uh, of business. Um, so basically it was, around 40 euro per person uh, for an activity. Yeah. And the I would say the average booking was two people. Mm -hmm. So it was roughly 80. 80 yeah. uh, for, on, on that, we will take our commission, but then we will need to pay taxes. We will need to uh, also pay the, um, I would say, the, the fees. Uh, all this, well, Stripe didn't exist at this time, but the paper fees and so on. And... Maybe you've got like five or eight euro at the end, mm -hmm. and and with this you need to do customer acquisition, and you don't have any repeat business. So basically, people are coming once, and then you 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 don't have. Uh, so you need to to have the payback and your customer acquisition uh, from day one, which is nearly impossible to acquire right. a new customers for this kind of low budget. So. Um, I, I would say that was the first mistake. Well, big mistake. And then we, at some point, we we thought, okay, the business is not good, the margin are too low, and or oh, we will need lots of money to to do something big. Yeah. Um, and so we decided to pivot, uh, but we didn't have any. Uh, well, we as I mentioned earlier. We, we didn't have any technical skills. So we thought about, I would say, becoming a SaaS for the people that could be on, this on, the, on the marketplace, on the supply side. 
uh, and to help them manage their activity. But having no technical skills, it was nearly impossible to, I would say, to become a SaaS uh, because we were relying too much on the uh, on the agency. So at the end, we decided to close the business. Okay. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Uh, it's funny because I, I went to uh, I went to vac- vacation just for the weekend. Went went out on a camper recently, and I was looking for mushrooms and. Uh, I found mushrooms, but I thought, oh, someone should come up with a, a thing where I could hire a guide locally and have an experience and have them teach me how to hunt for mushrooms in our dish. And so kind of had this similar idea what, what you're talking mm. about. And now I know I can put that idea away for a little bit. <laughs> you, you don't even Im- imagine how many people uh, wanted to start this kind of business after. Yeah. And received maybe, I, I, I won't lie, maybe 50 a LinkedIn connection or email yeah. saying, okay, I'm starting this kind of business. I've seen that you did that in the past. Can you give me advice? Uh, so yeah. it was like, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> to, to, to do that. Yeah. I think right now having Airbnb that is offering that it's killing nearly every new ambition. Yeah. But, um, and, and, and to, to come back and why is it working with Airbnb and not with us? It's just that when Airbnb started this, they already had like millions or maybe hundreds of millions of users. So they didn't need to acquire them. Uh, and it's, it was just, I would say, additional. So basically you're booking your uh, your rental and then, hey, do you want to, to do an activity while you are in uh, in Dublin? And that's it. Yeah. So that, 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 it, it I makes, mean, that's... Sense that's the the b2c thing that's what people always look at with b2c they're like well how are you going to grow this thing how are you going to get to your to your audience how are you going to get to your customers what's your model and the customer acquisition costs are very high and um and you're so it's no it's really challenging but someone who like you know companies like uber or like airbnb who already have a super established brand and already in touch with you know gazillions of consumers it's much easier for them to start that and of course they have revenue coming in which helps too um mm. so it's interesting um your, your company so you you use a lot of uh you use a lot of of people to kind of work on projects um are, do you use a pl- any platforms to find talented people do you use anything like i see on youtube i get lots of fiverr uh, announcements. Have you ever gone on Fiverr and gotten anybody? Yeah, I, I've I, I've already hired people on Fiverr and Upwork and Matt in France. Yeah. Uh, depending, I would say, first, um, it depends on the kind of uh, job that you want to to, to give them. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember, like, uh, while well, hiring people for maybe ten. Uh, ten dollar back in the day on Upwork to just, um, I would say, um, uh, well, I, I've got lots of you know business cards uh, from conference, and then but you you are collecting them, uh, and well, I would say f- physically, but then it's nearly impossible to do anything with with them because you need to put them in a uh, in a spreadsheet or something. Yeah. So I hired someone like to. And while I took the photos of all the business cards that I had, had in the office, mm-hmm. I think it was around like uh, 500 uh, business cards. Yeah. yeah. I put everything in a Dropbox and then I have 
ask someone for 10 euros or 10 dollars to to just put all the names and all the, well everything uh, in a spreadsheet so i think for this kind of stuff uh well it's it's quite magical how far you can go uh but the i would say the downside of airport is um most people are just speaking english mm-hmm. uh, so if you want to to have something like more in french uh, then using fiverr or malt is, is better okay okay so yeah so you it's maybe better if you need more french but your website looking at your website your website's all english centric yeah okay yeah yeah for 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 collect we did only uh, only english uh, of course we do have uh, customers in france mm-hmm. um i would say naturally because word of mouth is easier in french and 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 so on but the the goal is to be global from day one um and that, that's really interesting because uh that's something that's people are starting from day one did you put in uh to build a global business and i think that's really and that means english first um it also means a billing solution did you put uh did you start what are you using to manage your billing and subscription yeah, it, management it's it, so I'm, I'm using stripe and all the pricing is in is in dollar yeah um Actually, my Stripe, Stripe doesn't offer. Okay, can you also have Euro pricing, or is it by default dollar? It's by default. Well, not by default. the The only currency that you can have on okay. Collect is, is dollar. Okay. Um, the well, the idea um, for for me when when I did that is, if you are, let's say, well, if if you are European, and you see a pricing in dollar. You, you don't really mind because you're used to buying dollar. Yeah. But the opposite is not true. Uh, if you are an American and you are, well, now not only living in Europe, but um, when, when you're, for, for most Americans, they don't know the, I would say, the equivalent of uh, euro in dollar. So, you know, it will, it, they, they will need to think about it. They will probably need to go on Google to, to, to see the equivalent and, and so on. So uh, I, I wanted to have only one currency and, um, and collect. So that's why I, I did it this way. And also I do have some customers, for example, in, in Australia, in, uh, uh, well, in, in lots of different countries or in Canada, uh, yeah. this kind of country. And they're used to, well, everyone is used to, uh, to know the conversion with dollar. Which is not true in the in the opposite way. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. And also, you know, as a European, if you see something's in dollar, you're less likely to question like, is this a global company or anything like this? I think uh, it's just you, you're more confident. And uh, and if someone has to go get off your website and go look and see what the current version is rate for euro, mm-hmm. you've already introduced a constraint. You've already introduced another step. You've already introduced another pain point. Um, and by default, like you said, more people are going to think in dollars. Okay. Really interesting. Um, After I know that I would say good practice is to have different pricing based on the region. So basically for the U S or I would say for the global market, you will be in dollar and for the local market, you will be in Euro, but I would say technically and, and also because I, I did, uh, all the billing at the beginning of the project. Yeah. So at this point, it was quite different from um, what Stripe offers now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to keep it simple. Uh, that's why I did this way. Yeah. Well, simplicity. I think if you're, you know, um, a, a small shop, simplicity <laughs> is is an obligation. You you got you you got to keep it simple. By the way, uh, just so you know, up on the chat room, I put up uh, use collect your your um, URL. Oh, thank you. So if if you get a chance, go check it out. Uh, and is there? I mean, as people put up their documents, if their dossier is complete and you've got all the documents, my guess is you get a notice saying, okay, great. Uh, everything's up here. You can, you can move forward. Sure. Yeah. So you, you, well, we've got lots of, uh, uh options and it's very highly uh, configurable. Uh, so basically so first you can have, I would say an intermediate step where you can validate, validate, uh, and reject all the documents and, in data that have been filled or uploaded on the portal. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, once uh, a portal is completed, um, so you can, of course, download everything, but you can also trigger a lot of different things in other tools. Uh, so basically, we, we do have an API, we do have Zapier integration, we also have an integration with uh, AppSpot. Mm -hmm. uh, and so basically, the idea is once the the request is marked as completed mm -hmm. then you can for example push all the data or all the documents into your crm mm -hmm. or into another tool and this is like very powerful yeah you know it's so interesting i think that's one of the really interesting things about our, our industry is that i'm starting to think of sasses as like legos yeah and, and and so you can just snap all this stuff together and so i i have what i call my holy trinity people processes and philosophy um, and of course, you know, your management has the vision and the philosophy and then they go out and get the people they get. And then with these SaaSes now, um, organizations really define the value they create by how good their processes are. Um, and so when I work with an organization whose processes are great, like their own body, like my last experience where I just give them an A++ was, was with HubSpot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're really pricey uh, solution, but gosh, they've got a great knowledge uh, center and, and their onboarding process and a lot of stuff they do is really great. And so for me, that gives me a lot of confidence um, for someone who's, who is going to work with it on the marketing side. Mm. Um, and so, but also everything plugs into everything now. You got Zapier and then you've got so many direct integrations with HubSpot as well. And then same thing with Stripe. Um, and so people, you know, buy these pillars, uh, these different for billing or what have you. For that, for that matter, just so anybody out there, uh, I'm going to be uh, s speaking with Billwork today, uh, and we're going to talk about their recent report in a webinar later today at, I think it's 5 p.m. CET. Uh, we're doing a webinar with Billwork on on um, on billing and subscription management and how things are evolving. They just produced a big report, and we're going to talk about that. Interesting. Um, but there's uh, there's... Yeah, it's just, I mean, that you can do so many different things on the process side. And if you get really good at implementing great prices, processes, you save your team time and, and you can, you know, out-execute organizations. And to me, it kind of makes me think of like Ukraine versus Russia. Like sometimes I work with big organizations, but their processes are bad. And then you work with a smaller one and their processes are good. And it kind of reminds me of like Xerox and Polaroid. And you're like, over the long term, if this big company can't get its head out of its bleep, uh, they're going to have a big problem. Uh, so that's really yeah. interesting. Are there any other SaaSes? Are there any other things that uh, you use um, 
Because uh, yeah. I'm, I'm using lots of SaaS, I would say. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most uh, time-saving SaaS for me is uh, Crisp. Crisp. Um, yeah, Crisp. What's Crisp? Crisp is a is a chat that you can have on your own website. Okay. And so, and basically, well, it's really simple, but it works just really fine. Uh, and and for me, it's really helpful because uh, I can have all the support ticket, well, not ticket, but support messages. Okay. Um, directly from the customers, uh, and I can access to them, of course, when I'm in the office, but also on my mobile. So it, it's very handy uh, for me, and I'm using it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Slack. Well, Slack, yeah. Uh, yeah. Even if it's not my team, I'm connected with lots of people in Slack. Okay. Um, Zapier is good to, to, to do some automation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I should use it more. But uh, but yeah, while well, it's it's still save lots of time. Mm-hmm. What else can I mention? I should use it more. Yeah, there's lots of things we should do, uh, but, but you have to you have to focus on what. Yeah, uh, but but you 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 know well. I'm saying I should use it more because I think um, Zapier is a good example of a good investment. Basically. Yeah. Um, you will probably need one hour to automate something. So you need to find this hour. Yeah. Uh, but it will have a good ROI very quickly. Yeah. So that's why I think you, you need you know to to force yourself to to well to use it more and to be like uh, uh, more clever on this kind of software. Yeah it's interesting. What you you, you so your bootstrap now are you looking for funding? Or do you no. want, you don't want to get funded? You want so, to keep bootstrapping? Yeah, yeah. So, well, at least the I would say one of the biggest upside of being bootstrapped is you can you can still change your mind later, uh, which is quite hard when you do the opposite way. Uh, basically, if you're if you if you raise funding, um, and and then you decide well. You, you you can you can decide to to look for profitability and to start uh, to stop um, uh, raising, but in the fact looking for profitability is can be quite tough uh, later on. Uh, so being bootstrap, all the I would say I have all the cards uh, in end, so I can decide to to. Keep bootstrapping, collect, or if at some point I think it's a good, well, I've got a good momentum, and and I think it makes sense to to raise money, I can still try to to raise money, but for for now I think it's it's good. Um, also, I was looking for, uh, well, I would I would say it differently. Um, when when you raise money, your job as a founder will be, well, it's it's not only that, but uh, part of your, your job will be to manage your board mm-hmm. and also to, I would say, to focus on people uh, because basically you will hire your team and make it grow and and you, you won't do the, the, the job by yourself. Most, well, the, the other people will and you will be there to just to to, to make it happen. And this is not something 
that um, I'm I'm getting joy from. Uh, so you, you you know this is well. There are people that are very good in management, yeah. and and they like to do that. Um, I like to do stuff. Uh, I like to um, to do development. I, I like to do demos, but I don't like you know to do one on one. <laughs> so so well, I think it, it was important to to know what you what you like to do on that. You're you're also managing up, right? Which is harder because you're managing people that have invested money in your company. Um, and so when yeah. you, and so these are people that have typically are, are very demanding people. Uh, these are people typically with egos. Um, mm -hmm. These are typically people from big schools. And um, it's it's a challenging job to manage investors, uh, I think, for any company. And especially, you know, if you're if you things aren't going as promised or as everyone would like. Uh, and then, you know, and then when they start asking questions, because a lot of times like. I don't know if you've been involved. I've been involved with several startups and seen how the boards get involved. Yeah. And um, VCs, like like so many of us, you know, they they have good intentions, uh, but they're not going to know the business anybody better than anybody who works in the company or has worked in that industry for years or anything like that. So sometimes they so it's complicated. Yeah, I guess is I what think, I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I I think first it it really depends on on your VCs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's. Okay. Very hard to, I would say, to, to, to make a, a global assumption, but, um, and I would say very good VCs, uh, but they are also uh, investing in the best deals. But yeah. very good VCs, uh, they are, I would say, supporting the company, yeah. not pushing. Well, not not asking too many things. That is, uh, uh, I would say, killing the company. Yeah. Uh, but bad VCs can be really toxic, so. Yeah. I, I think it it really depends on on your on your VCs, um, but yeah, it, it takes time. Uh, Sometimes they can really, I would say, help to move the needle, uh, and they can really help the company to 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 become like a very great company, yeah. uh, and they and they can kill it. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's why. Well, on, on one side, I think having. Um, this kind of relationship, sorry, uh, with um, third parties can be interesting because uh, it makes you accountable. It makes you, um, well, you, you, well, for example, I think you're working faster on this kind of thing. Uh, but at some point, you, you will maybe spend 50% or 70% of your, of your time. And this, so yeah, I don't know. And if you've ever seen a founder or a CEO prepare for a board meeting with VCs, that person is typically stressed out for about the week uh, prior to that meeting. That's taken up. That's taken up like ninety percent of their time. Um, and since CEOs also or founders are also often working on recruiting and selling and uh, and ten other different uh, challenges that the organization is working, it, it's it's interesting. But it's, it sounds like you got a good plan. If things work out well, if you if you have see a road to uh, being a profitable company, if you're in a good position, kind of like judo, you'll use that and leverage. And and also, honestly, right now may not be the best time. Uh, you, right now, given the markets, you may have to give up more equity uh, than you would like to get money at this point. So it might yeah. Be, yeah. Yeah, the, the, well, there are lots of companies that you know were started like in 
2003-2004, just after the dot-com bubble uh, burst. So I'm pretty sure that right now it's good timing to you know to to start your company or to uh, to keep it grow like like I'm doing, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm pretty sure that maybe in a few years uh, the market will come back and and it will be good timing for us. So yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Um, we uh, last week we had Ben Costantini. I don't know if you know Ben, but um, I know him. Yeah. You know Ben. Yeah. Um, but we were talking a little bit about some of these things about the market and our perception of the market. And I, I actually remember um, I was working in tech during the dot com dot bomb slash uh, era. Um, and uh, there was a hilarious website which no longer exists. It's up on the wiki comments, but it was called fuckedcompany.com. And people would post um, like you know, what their layoff notices were for the company, or they would put post internal memos or like strategy of the company. And I guess my point to all this is that technology and SaaS and, and dot com companies that the, the thinking has matured so much, we're so much further along, the investors are and also the people that create these a lot of the companies back then, in the dot bomb area were thought of they didn't even have a revenue model. Yeah. They, they didn't know how they were going to generate revenue. And if you go to a VC right now and you're like, we're not sure how to, he's like, you're lucky if he doesn't throw you out the door. Um, you've got to know how you're generating revenue. There was one uh, petfood.com and like they got like 60 million. And I was like 60 million to buy pet food. And it's like, I just buy it when I go to my grocery store or I, no. I, it's not like, it's, a not, weapon. it's not there. Yeah. It's not something I really like think like, Oh, or there's not this huge economy of scale that makes you that interesting to buy dog food um could never understand that and um what was the other one drcoop.com for healthcare stuff and dr coop was a former like top doctor in the united states was the surgeon general and he gave information on that and they had no business model and he raised like hundreds of million and they burned through hundreds of million i'm like don't get it (laughs) interestingly enough here's an anecdote from that time you might appreciate um there was a company that was started by Mark uh, Andreessen, who's a really famous investor, Andreessen Horowitz, I think that's their, their investment group. And he started, uh, he built one of the original browsers, Netscape, uh, did all sorts of amazing stuff. And he started a company called LoudCloud. And LoudCloud, what they did is they hosted enterprise applications in the cloud. So you, if you had Microsoft Office or SAP or something like that or Exchange, they hosted it for you in the cloud. And that was actually the predecessor to SaaS. Mm-hmm. So it didn't work. His business, it failed. But uh, And there was this whole argument at that time, like, does it even make sense to have computing off-site? Thin client. And I think the, the, the company he mentioned in, the, in his book, right? I, I don't know. I haven't read his book. Yeah. This is good reading, people. Uh, I'm gonna have to go order this book. Well, it, 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 this one, but well, this one is in French, but of course, it, it, it it's in English. Yeah. It's hard thing about the hard thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a very fam- famous book, and and this is a company is talking about uh, in his book, uh, and very interesting. If you if you haven't read it, I okay. really recommend it. Okay. Thank thank you. Um, so, so, yeah, someone mentioned a really interesting book today to me about um, 
they called it the Bible. It was something like structuring SaaS revenue. And uh, predictable revenue. What's that? Predictable revenue. Uh, no, I. It's hold on. Uh, uh, I have to. I don't know. I'll have to come back to it. But it's. Okay. it's this person said this book changed their life. Uh, and he calls it the Bible. Uh, and so it could it could be this one. Yeah. And so, I, yeah. Yeah. For 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 the um, in in the SaaS industry, there's this book. So I don't. Um, should have it. Uh, I don't know where it is, but it's it's called Predictable Revenue, yeah. and basically, um, it, it's been written by Aaron Rose. Mm -hmm. um, who was one of the first team lead uh, at Salesforce, uh, I would say in the early days. Uh, and he went from maybe 10 million uh, IRR to 100 million IRR. Uh, and so, and he wrote this, this book with all the, I would say it was uh, nearly their internal playbook, uh, sales playbook. And so it has been published, I would say nearly 10 years ago. And it quickly became the, I would say, the, the sales playbook for lots of uh, startups, uh, especially in SaaS. Yeah. Uh, and for example, so when I when I used to work at Funders, one of our company at this time was Aircall. Mm -hmm. um, and so I offered it to uh, to Jonathan, mm -hmm. uh, who was leading the, uh, who was leading the sales team at the uh, at this point, and so and for a few years, it was like the Bible uh, at Aircall. So That's it, it can be this book. That's really interesting. Um, I, I think it's, uh, well, okay, I'll have to look up the title of this. I think I met Jonathan uh, last year. Uh, is he, uh, any case, uh, Aircall is a really interesting company. Uh, that's a really yeah. interesting company. And, and that's what I noticed is a lot of the recent um, companies uh, like Aircall, has leveraged done a really good job of levering partnerships. Mm -hmm. So I think there's we, we you know last year we were talking a lot about product led growth. Um, so designing your product and for me product goes back to my holy trinity of people processes and philosophy, but um, so that the whole experience is just great. So there's that. But I think also the other thing is partner led growth, which is a lot of people day one they're like okay how we how can we take this product and and work with other partners in the ecosystem to grow it. So like you built an integration to Zapier, you built an integration to HubSpot. Um, and very early, those are, I mean, those are just very, those are decisions taken very early, which are important growth decisions. Yeah, actually the, I would say there are different steps in the partnership uh, um, uh, strategy. The first one is you'll start building, I would say, global integration, mm -hmm. basically the API or the, the Zapier integration. So you, you can do whatever you want with that. Right. The second one is you're doing native integration because I would say by doing this, you won't need uh, a middleman. So you, you won't need to have Zapier or you won't need to have the API uh, in the middle. So you can, for example, connect, uh, collect with HubSpot natively, and maybe later uh, collect with all the CRM. 
and and it makes sense and and then the last step and that's what uh, Aircall did and all the companies start start doing uh, is to create an ecosystem around you and so basically you're starting to create a marketplace and you're starting to create everything to I would say to encourage other uh, vendors to integrate with you mm-hmm. uh, and it, it becomes very powerful because at the beginning you need to well especially for the second step you need to do all the stuff mm-hmm. so it will take time for example to if i want to build an integration with salesforce um it will cost me a lot of money because i will need to maybe hire a developer spend a few months on the integration mm-hmm. but uh, when you reach um, a certain level like uh, Aircall did, then you're trying to to be very interesting for other vendors and they will spend money to to be on your marketplace. So I would say that's very powerful and and I think it's it's also helping them to to grow so fast. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like that. Uh, so build uh, build a integration into an integration tool. That way you get access to a lot of things very quickly. Then strategically build out your native integrations to people who can help you grow and you can get on their marketplaces like HubSpot and Salesforce. That's really interesting. That, that's worthy of a blog uh, to be written. And then and then from there, build your own marketplace. Yeah. Um, that, that's super interesting. Um, uh, what, looking at my questions, we got into our favorite reading. I, I read a book. One of my colleagues gave me a book, The Theory of Constraints. Uh, okay. a, a talk. And, uh, and that, that was a book that made me think really differently uh, about, um, uh, and I like the analogy he used in the book. He talks about uh, doing sales demos and the company only had a certain amount of bandwidth to do sales demos and they had already blocked out their bandwidth to do sales demos. And he's like, well, you don't need to call anymore, do any more prospection because if you don't have bandwidth to do demos, you, you can't sell anything. Mm. Um, and that seems like a very common sense thing. Um, but gosh, uh, a lot of people overlook really simple common sense things like that. So make sure, make sure as you map out your sales process as you, and I don't even like the term, I, I like the term, but more like customer engagement process or, um, cause I think sales, no one wants to be sold to, we want to be helped. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's the thing you, you need to understand is no one likes being sold to. We want to be helped. So I'll show you how, how do you help me? How do, how can you benefit me? Uh, and then you've got my attention. Um, but you know, if you're, you really got to do a good job mapping that out. Um, I had a really interesting experience the other day and I'd like your take on this. I was talking to a SAS that I was interested in maybe using and their SDR who I spoke with knew absolutely nothing about the product and very little about the benefits. Oh, and so, um, and I guess I guess my point of my takeaway was that is do you do you have any SDRs yet or are you all on your own? Uh, on all on my own. But have you ever had that experience of working with an SDR for another organization and they didn't really know what they're doing? Well, I I, I can see that lots of time because I think people are trying just to well is is right now I don't know but maybe one or two years ago people were. Uh, just trying to to grow, mm-hmm. and they were um, ready to make anything for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it includes you have, for example, 
okay, let's just hire more SDR and not really looking for uh, to to train them and to 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 make them work well, but just more more more. You know, send more emails, send uh, do more calls. It, and it's sound, more, it's not it's... care about the the transformation rate. It sounds like the Russian military strategy. Just throw more people at the problem. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But and 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 I think that um I would say looking for profitability, uh this is something that won't work anymore. You meet you need to be more like I think right now it's better to be a sniper than on the field. Uh you you know, and, and having more soldiers to, to keep your uh, your image. Uh, is not very good. You, if, but if you've got like one very good sniper, then uh, it will help you. So uh, instead of doing maybe 100 calls every day, just maybe do 10, very well prepared, very well, uh, uh, where you know the product very good and and the purpose, uh, and I think it will be transforming better than than doing uh, I would say crazy things. Yeah, there's, uh, I think I read a report, I forgot who it was, but it was something about fit. Um, and they said, if a prospect fits your ICP, mm-hmm. I think, uh, oh yeah, it was, um, it was a company that was doing something like 60 million in ARR. And they said that their statistics show that if a customer fits their ICP uh, and expresses need, their close rate is about 3.5%. Mm-hmm. If the customer is outside their ICP, uh, their close rate is 0.2%. So oh. two-tenths of 1%. Yeah. And and so, but, and, but the interesting part about that is they said is that even if they close that customer, um, that that customer won't stay. Uh, and that that customer comes up, instead of being a profit center, their customer comes up, becomes a loss center because they have to spend a lot of time helping that customer or addressing problems with the customer. So they create a dissatisfied customer who's going to badmouth them, mm. who's going to cost them a lot of money and leave. So I guess, uh, I guess uh, that makes a lot of sense. What you said is what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I think when, when you, when you try to, I would say to, to force a sale, it's, it's never good. And there are very low chance that, in the end, people will like a product. So, uh, I I think it, well, it's it's better to, you know, just to to focus on your real customers. Yeah. Um, but it happened sometimes uh, to to me. I mean, uh, yeah. sometimes you know you're doing a demo. You know that you could close it, but people won't be satisfied with your product mm. because. They are looking for um, features that you don't have, or this kind of, of of thing, and and yeah, and I think it's better to be honest and to to say, okay, I think we're not the right fit for you. Maybe to recommend something else, um, even if it's your competitor. But it's not very good if you if you just try to to sell it, and and then in the end, it will turn a few months later because. Uh, your solution is not the, the right one. But boy, if somebody recommends that I go elsewhere or I look at the competition um, because they say it may be a better fit, my respect for them uh, and my confidence level going forward, if I ever encounter them and, and, or think about that company and come back to them, 
I feel like I can really trust him at that point. Um, where where do you go? Um, uh, where do you go to learn? I mean, what, how what percentage of your time do you spend expanding your brain and learning about new stuff? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first one is uh, maybe it will surprise you, um, but I would say my main channel to to learn is my podcast by doing the interviews. Uh, because basically I'm, I will met lots of founders or lots of people working in SaaS. Yeah. And so, and when I've got something that, uh, is interesting to me, I will ask the question. <laughs> so I think this is the first, uh, for, well, for, for me, this is the first channel. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so, and, and for example, if I, well, um, let, let, to, to, to come back to, uh, to this image, we talked about integration uh, before, mm -hmm. uh, and of course with Collect, I've got lots of questions about integration. Uh, should I do uh, integration with all the CRM, or should I focus, for example, on the apps? But mm -hmm. um, well, lo lots of questions that you you don't have. I would say, lots of people you can ask these questions, these questions too, and so by doing the the podcast, it's well, if I'm just uh, in front of this kind of question, I can say, okay, I will invite him because I know that they did a big job on this. And so I will ask the question. Yeah, I think I think working, I'm, I've only, our, our thing has only been going a short time now, but it's been really educational and um, nourishing. Mm. The word I would use is nourishing. It's been really interesting. Um, yeah, and, and then to, 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 to give maybe more um, reference, uh, to the audience, um, I'm I, I like to read books. Uh, so even even if I'm not reading everything, um, I can I would say do some speed reading, just uh, having the idea of uh, of the book. So I will probably buy a book every month mm -hmm. about about SaaS and startups. Then I'm also reading sometimes uh, blog posts. Uh, for example, I like uh, the OpenView blog post blog. Um, so OpenView is a VC firm, and I think they did um, a great job to about uh, product-led growth. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is interesting. And then I would say depending on the um, well, and what's coming coming up i can i can read random uh blog posts but okay uh, i'm still a good reader you're still a good reader uh, my question is do you have kids um you do, you do. <laughs> okay and you you say you have a job you start a company yeah, yeah. and you're doing a blog that's, that's why I'm, I'm not reading the the, the full book you know and just, yeah. <laughs> just trying to to go fast i've been i've been meaning to check out there's a, a service called blinkist I think it's yeah. and uh, they kind of review books and give you the macro ideas of the book. Uh, and I think something like that is more uh, is probably better for me at this point. And maybe if it's like something I really want to read, then go back and read it. Um, yeah. But that's interesting. What, what about uh, the question that comes up? A lot of founders uh, struggle with this. A lot of tech employees struggle with this. What about work life balance? Uh, is that in on your horizon? Is that on your radar? That's a good question. Well, um, so I, I'm a dad for now two years, uh, and of course, it it I mean it changed like all your priorities in life. Yeah. Um, 
and so I well in in the morning um, I'm going to to drop my my daughter uh, to the to the kindergarten. So I have to I, I would say I have to do the morning. Uh, then in the evening sometimes um, I'm staying quite late at the office. Uh, what I don't well what what is quite hard for me. Um, well I, I'm doing it sometimes, but but I have to admit that it's harder than it used before is to to come back home like have dinner and then to work again uh like after dinner most of the time i'm like out uh so i would say this is my main difficulty and then i'm trying not to work on the weekend yeah. Uh, but yeah sometimes i have to yeah uh, and and this year and for the first time uh for like maybe five years mm-hmm. uh I got real uh, holidays. <laughs> I took uh, three weeks, and I only work, you know, three times uh, two hours. So, wow. which was like real holidays. Um, so, but I think also it depends on your business and the state you're in. Um, you know, uh, Collect is now on the market for three years. Uh, the revenue is growing. I would say it's becoming easier. Well, it's it's not easier on I would say every aspect of the business, but at least um you know it's uh, I would say uh well I have the the head out of the water. I don't know if it's a, a, a something that we can say in English, but you know at the beginning you're like overflowed. Yeah. And and after you can start breathing. Uh, and so, I would say that's the current situation with the with the business. So yeah, uh, I I'm more and more uh, uh, concerned with the uh, lifestyle balance. Okay, well, good. I think uh, you know uh, I spoke to another founder and listened to his talk a few months back, actually at B two B Rocks and Lloyd Lobo. And um, he's serial founder, and 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 of course he got COVID and almost died. Uh, and, uh, and I saw photos of him when he was at university, a really fit guy. And then he got heavy working as a founder and, um, and he just said, look, he said, you can't ignore this stuff. He says, you know, one, it's about your health, but two, it's about being a great founder and a great teammate and these other things. And he's like, and, and it's also, you know, he talked about the mental health implications as well. There's a mental health aspect as well. Um, so that's really interesting. But but uh, I do remember that in the past, well, I used to work in a company not related to tech at all, mm. and and we had this uh, well figure that we were using all the time, uh, which was a tripod, mm. uh, and and we were talking about a tripod for I would say mo- mostly for product, uh, and so the idea of a tripod mm. is. Uh, if you if you want to keep stability, you can move only one feet of the tripod mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Uh, if if you are trying to move two uh, foot, yeah, two feet, uh, two feet, two feet, yeah. uh, um, two feet at, at the same time, then you will be very uh, unstable. Mm. But if you move only one foot uh, at a time, uh, you you keep stability. So, for example, if you if we come back to product, mm-hmm. um, if you 
change, for example, distribution, but you're not changing uh, the the product or the pricing, that's fine. You 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 keep stability, and it's the same, in fact, for uh, your personal, I would say, personal and professional life. Um, you've got your job, that's that's one fit. Mm-hmm. You've got your health, and then I would say you've got your family and love, mm-hmm. and it's it's very hard to move uh, two feet or more at the same time. So if you are very stable in your job and you have a good health, then you can focus uh, to change. For example, if you are single, yeah. you can you can focus to try to find to find someone. Yeah. But there is very low chance that you can change your job. Uh, for example, change your lifestyle to be more healthy, yeah. and also. Uh, that you are looking for love at the same time because I would say it's too much to do. It's just too much. Yeah. Yeah, No, I like that analogy. That's a, that's a really interesting way to think about it, which is, um, yeah, I think that's a, and, and when I look back over the course of my life, whenever I had too many feet off the ground or was, I think we could also, the analogy we use is juggling. We say we're trying to juggle too many balls. Yeah. You can juggle two or three balls, but you can't juggle four or five. Yeah, so, so or most people can't. Yeah, so. and so for example, to to come back to your, I would say, ad situation. Yeah. So, right now, I think, well, I should um, be more healthy and do more sports. Yeah. And for a long time, it was uh, quite hard because I was focusing on the on the uh, on my company, uh, trying to well to make it happen. And so it's very hard, you know, to be. Um, very good at sport for example well not good but very uh to do that regularly uh and and to 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 work on the at the same time um so i I would say right now because business is going better i could for example start to move another fit foot okay yeah that's it's like uh i won't go into it but um no conversations about language um listen uh what's what's the name of your blog i mean your podcast my podcast is called uh sas connection sas connection and is it uh sas connection and is can they find it where can they find it well you you can find it on i would say all the podcasting uh apps so it can be apple podcast uh, spotify um i don't remember all, all all those but uh Android podcast, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what about? Um, is it in English or is it in French? It's in French. Okay, it's in French. So for our French people out there, uh, if you want to hear about SAS in French, uh, I I recommend. Exactly. Yeah. Thank uh, you. And I'll I'll go. Maybe I can practice my French that way. I get inspired. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a good way to do. Well, I, I did that with a podcast about SAS in English. So just to practice my English. Um. Just, that's great. You're doing a great job. What about mentoring? Were you fortunate enough early on in your career to have a mentor or have you had mentors or do you have a mentor? Um, I would say I did have. Uh, I don't have any more. Um, so I, I, I mentioned that I worked in not in the tech industry before. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent nearly five years in the healthcare industry. Okay. Um and one of my job was to be the uh, what w- what we would call now uh, chief of staff mm-hmm. uh, of one of the uh, of of one of the CEO uh, of the company, mm-hmm. and and so I was very close uh, to this man, uh, and 
yeah, and they learned so much. So he was a mentor, I would say, mostly on a day-to-day basis. Like, he, he learned me so much. Yeah. Um, so it was really, really interesting working with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then after, I would say in the tech industry, I didn't have any mentors. But yeah. did, he, did he take you under his wing? Did he know he was mentoring you or was it just his job as a manager? He just managed you really well. I, I think it was more like managing yeah. and, and informal, you know, it was not, okay, I will bring you to, to this point. But yeah. but it, it was interesting because every time we had a discussion about, I don't know, um, how should we do that in the company? Mm-hmm. Um, it was also explaining uh, how we thought. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you learn how to, to, to think. Yeah, that's interesting. So he kind of provided the backstory of like, okay, this that's is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. And mm-hmm. and so ah, that's, that's just so useful. Um, just one question. So you're a founder or I always say that just one question, but there's always more questions. Um, so you're a founder. Did you need to make a conscious step to become a founder and to start your own business? Or is that just something you did naturally? I mean, was there a moment like you felt like you jumped off a diving board uh, into the water? Uh, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe this is me projecting, but uh, I'm just uh, curious about that. Yeah, it, it was totally natural. It was natural. Um, yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, and, and, and actually, I did some, I would say, um, very small business, I, I, even before when I was... Um, you know, in business school, um, I already worked, well, I was already working and and having some projects and so on. So it's like something very natural uh, to me. Okay, that's really interesting. Well, listen, I want to remind you all. Uh, so his uh, company is called Collect. The website is usecollect.com. Um, his podcast is SAS Connection. It is in French, so if you're in English, it'll be uh, well. It's a good way to practice your French if you're uh, not, not being there. Um, and so you can hear a little bit about what's going on in the French thing. He'll be at uh, SAS Talk yeah. in Dublin uh, next week. I'll be there too. He's going to buy me a beer now uh, <laughs> if, we, if we can find a time. Um, and uh, and just want to thank you thank you for sharing uh this for me it was really interesting i think for audience it's going to be really valuable uh and thank you so much thanks for the invitation was was really great and and just and to 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 the audience just ping me if you are around next week okay Uh, i I will be happy to 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 pay to pay a a beer too okay Okay. (laughs) that will be great and and if you are um speaking french and you do have uh, a SaaS, uh, you can also ping me because I will try to to record some uh, uh, some episode for the for the the podcast next week uh, when when I will be in in Dublin. So just ping me, and we'll try to, to figure out. Okay, that's great. Well, listen once again. Thank you so much. And I'm just gonna take advantage while you're on here just to tell everybody uh, later today. Uh, at 5 p.m., we're going to be doing our webinar with Bill Work. We're going to be talking about what's going on uh, in the, the subscription uh, industry. Uh, we're going to be live streaming from um, SAS Talk as well. Who knows? We might have uh, we might have you back on. You'll maybe stop by our booth, booth and see us there. Uh, and then next week, um, next week we have Max 
uh, I think it's Panavuan, who is head of Winning yeah. Winning by Design, uh, which is incredible kind of like growth consultancy, which they have offices pretty much around the world now. Uh, and they I help. So, yeah. yeah, they San Francisco, Paris, New York, London, like all the big stops, and they help a lot of organizations grow their businesses. So we're going to have him on and talk a little bit about the methodology of growth uh, and what companies can do to really succeed. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Steve. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye. Uh, good. Well, listen, that was a really enjoyable show. He's a great guest. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and we'll see you all soon. Our next show will be on Tuesday. We're going to be doing kind of a full day. Uh, so full day from Tuesday will be on there. Uh, and that's all for today, folks. That's all. <laughs>